Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV, and we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan, and so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Uh, let me tell you, my guest today is Mr. Todd Robinson. He's the writer-director of a new movie that just opened the 1st of March called Phantom. And if you haven't seen it, it is a must-see. It's a, a suspense uh, movie. I, I we'll talk more about it, more about it in just a moment. But uh, uh, I saw it. I was delighted and uh, uh, I'm happy. I'm very pleased that we get to talk to the director, the writer, today, um, right after its opening. So... Todd Robinson is a, a director and he's a writer. Uh, he's responsible for uh, a number of movies and television shows. And uh, you're going to want to go and read his biography at RexSykes.com. If you go to RexSykes.com, the official URL for RexSykes Movie Beat, and go to the Interviews blog. You click on Todd's name, read his biography, and in there is a link to listen live or archived. So um, for those of you who are listening live, the chat room is open, and you can join us in the chat room if you're listening to this archived. Uh, that is not available to you when you listen archived, obviously. Uh, but one of the things that we ask you to do is go to RexSykes.com, the interviews blog, and go in and listen to the archives. Uh, Penn Densham, who produced, is one of the producers on uh, Phantom, also recently spoke. He's got a fabulous book out called Writing the Alligator. You're going to want to hear what Penn has to say about Phantom as well. Uh, this becomes... Uh, a really fruitful discussion, an area for us to be able to discuss the movie with both the producer and the writer-director uh, and, and learn more about how um, movies of this nature are made. This is an independent film. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned and you're going to want to share this with uh, your friends and your colleagues. So please take a moment and tweet it, Facebook it, email it, call somebody up or look across the coffee shop and say, hey, come here and listen to this on the computer. And whenever you listen, please do me a huge favor. All of these all of these discussions are brought to you absolutely free. There's no charge. They're absolutely available for your own edification, for your learning. Please leave comments at the player. It's right there below the chat room or below the player, whichever, when you're listening live or archived. Uh, take a moment uh, before you go away and leave a comment about what you thought about the show. That helps extend our reach to others who may stumble across it on the Internet or when they're searching, it, it increases our presence there. So please do that. All of these interviews are also available as podcasts at iTunes. And when you go and you get the – and I, su I suggest that you subscribe so that you take them with you wherever you go. But when you go to get the, uh, the podcast, please rate and review it there at iTunes as well. All right, without any further hesitation, I want to bring on my, uh, my guest, Mr. Todd Robinson. Good morning, Good morning Todd. Are you Ray. there? Yes, I am. Good morning. How are you? 
I'm excellent. I'm going to try to be coherent this early in the morning here in Los Angeles. Uh, it is an early morning, but you've also had a, a large weekend. You've had the opening of your movie on uh, the first, which was Friday. You know, it came out uh, against numerous other. You know, I mean, you know, Jack the Giant Killer or Slayer or whatever in different movies. Um, but you opened nationwide. Yeah, that's correct. We opened on March first, and we're out there in about eleven hundred theaters. So that, that's that's wild. That is wild. Yeah. So um, before we talk about the Phantom, and I've mentioned that I liked it, I liked it very much. Um, what I'd like to do is because uh, listeners uh, they may have read your biography and 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 uh, or not, but I always like to ask you know how did you get involved in making movies and uh, and uh, you, because people people want to know career path and and how they too can break in and how they can get going so. Well, it started with the girl, Rex. It started with <laughs> it's the girl. all things do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, on a career path to be a musician in high school and um, got interested in a young lady who was uh, who was sort of the, the, the drama star and uh, took a drama class in order to be within her proximity and um, had a just an amazing uh, drama teacher, high school drama teacher named Judy Roman, who really, you know, changed the, the course of my life. Um, she was a she, she was the kind of person that, as a teacher, made everybody feel like their job was the most important thing to play. And it didn't matter whether you were taking tickets or whether you were the lead in the play. She really made you feel special. And so I found a home. Uh, you know, sort of a home for misfits. You know, there, there's something about the theater and that world where you know I felt completely accepted, and and that was um, that was intoxicating for me. And um, <clears throat> from there, I went to excuse me, <clears throat> I went on to uh, go to drama school at Adelphi University, uh, where I'll be screening the movie this week, actually, uh, or next week, I should say, Wednesday, and. Um, you know, just had a terrific experience there. Uh, trained as a classically trained as an actor, uh, then sort of found my way out into Los Angeles for a pilot season. Never really went back. Um, met my wife, who was a uh, uh, an assistant at William Morris at the time for a literary uh, uh, agent. I didn't even know what a literary agent was at the time. And uh, I was just sort of a natural storyteller, I think. And I I, I told her a story about a topic that interested me and she encouraged me to write it down and so I did um, but it, there was this sort of confluence of things that happened that, that again sort of like changed changed my my life about 90 degrees and that was I'm, I'm clinically dyslexic uh, I can't spell very well so I was always sort of ashamed of writing and a friend of mine um, Steve Stark who, who runs MGM television now lent me his K-Pro computer and it was this thing that was about the size of a cinder block and but it had this magical thing it was called a floppy disk and it was called a spell check and so <laughs> right, right. so it was an intervention for my my shortcoming and so there was something really magical that happened when uh, I had uh, encouragement from somebody which is rare when you're an actor uh, I had the ability to get up and and be at the cause of my of my my world because nobody can stop you from writing and then i had this wonderful thing that was an intervention for for the thing that was sort of holding me back 
and once I started writing, I I would say within within a year uh, I was working professionally, and I I never looked back. Um, and then along the way, of course, uh, I became m- more deeply drawn into the the filmmaking aspects of things. I got to work with some amazing directors. Ridley Scott made uh, one of my early movies called White Squall, and mentored me. Um, I, Sidney Pollack, a, 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 a sort of a litany of great people came into my life and uh, sort of directed my path a little bit. And so, um, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're we're so lucky to have you and uh, White Squall. I, you know, I just be, before even Phantom or anything, I, I watched that just recently again. I uh, I enjoyed the movie very much the first time I saw it, which was a long while ago, and I just you know uh, went, oh, I'm going to watch this and uh, and searched for it, and there it was on cable, and I and I got to watch it again and, and showed my my son, and uh, and we both enjoyed it very much, and then lo and behold. You know, in, in talking with Penn about Phantom and everything, I, and, and Rocky Lang, who uh, produced one of the producers on, on White Squall there with you, is a friend and guest of the show. And um, so it's it's awesome to have you here, and to be able to talk, you know, about uh, the, all the different kinds of things we're going to talk about and the Phantom as well. Uh, so well, let's let's dive into the the Phantom. Um, and and you mentioned acting and. Uh, and there's a lot of things about it. The, the film stars Ed Harris and, and David Duchovny and William Fitchner and Jonathan Shake and others. And um, I found it a riveting, suspenseful movie. And the, but the performances are incredible. Uh, each, I thought William Fitchner was. I mean, they were all outstanding. But I was I was delightfully surprised by by William Fitchner, as as well as the rest. I don't I don't I mean I don't mean by singling out one that anyone you know. I don't know what I'm trying to say other than I was I was really really pleased. So you're a director and and you 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 wrote the movie, correct? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, indeed. and now you're going <laughs> yes, indeed. And now you're going to direct the film. And uh, before we we backtrack into the writing and and everything, um, let's talk casting and acting. Let's 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 uh, go from a director's perspective because this is this is truly you know your baby. You've written it and and now you're going to cast it. Yeah, well, it's all about the casting. Um, you know, it's it's a cliche. It's been said many times more by people smarter than me that you know directing is you know ninety five percent casting. Um, and that I, I think that's true. Um, <clears throat> it's really, you know, the actors are really the, the 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 colors that you have on your palette to work with. And uh, and in the case of of those three guys, I, I call them my trifecta perfecta. Um, it, it was just really a masterclass in uh, watching people who have honed their process to the point where they don't have to discuss process, but but they're so committed to it that you just sort of watch them behave through the structure of the of the lines and uh it it's never about what the what the words mean it's about their what they're bringing on that day and sort of filtering it through the text and the, no two takes are alike um you know i think um ed and and bill in particular um developed uh, just a, a wonderful um, you know, love story between them, uh, the the uh, subordinate and his uh, his captain, uh, that sort of uh, respect and um, having to make you know choices that could ultimately you know destroy your career um, 
you know, rooted in loyalty. And, uh, and so in that way, it becomes a very altruistic story. Uh, David uh, Duchovny, uh, had, I had met uh, on an, uh, while casting another film some years ago, and I had been just struck by his, um, just this sort of native intelligence that he has. You know, he, I think he has two separate Ivy League degrees. He is a uh, he, he's a he has a, a PhD without uh, his, uh, his his final paper. That's the only thing holding him back. <laughs> um, wow. He, he, he's a very very bright guy. In fact, I, I I wish I could remember the topic because it was something that was so so esoteric I couldn't even figure out what it meant. <laughs> but um, but anyway, I just thought what a terrific adversary for to, to counter Ed's um, sort of uh, blue collar working man persona uh to have a man of of intellect uh go toe to toe with him and um i think it works works quite nicely well and i also and i also uh, uh i don't want to do any spoilers or anything but i i also like the uh how Duchovny, david Duchovny brought his character in i i mean he was likable i i enjoyed watching him and i mean there's no hint of what's to come in, in anything I, I well, felt. You know, I, I'll tell you something about David. For, first of all, he is, um, I love working with people who are, are who do a lot of their work in television, especially on a, a tiny movie like this where, you know, we were, we were we shot this in 20 days and we're actually shooting about eight and a half pages a day, which wow. for any of your, your listeners who are, who are filmmakers, you know, that's just an enormous amount of material to cover in a day and get any kind of quality. But, uh, but David, I, I've worked with James Gandolfini before and others, and and they just come ready to go, and they're used to two or three takes and out, and and so, you know, I always tell actors to come with the text prepared, and by that I mean I'm not interested in, in what you think the text means. The text will take care of itself, but if you can if you can come with it, completely memorized, comple- so you can do. If I ask you to you know spin on your head while you say the lines, you can do that. Then you, you forget about the meaning. You can throw that away and just allow the emotion to come through. And David brought that, as they all did, but uh, but David in particular. And then the the other thing that I that I was uh, that I didn't realize until I was in the editing room. David had made a couple of requests of me, and because we shot the thing so you know wildly out of sequence, um, it's hard to keep track of where you are a lot of the time. In fact, that's. That, that's really what makes it sort of exhausting for a director because you have to have all of the answers to all of the questions an actor can you know ask you at any time, let alone the crew, so that uh, you can reorient them if they get a little bit lost. <clears throat> and uh, in the midst of this, David was making some requests. Like at one point, he wanted to take his shirt off, and he wanted to do this, and he wanted to do that. To that, and I was kind of shrugging a little bit, saying, "Okay." You know, but but I had kind of lost track of where I was even in the in the process. And and anyway, when the thing came together in sequence, I realized that he he was very uh, aware of his wardrobe, and he sort of starts off in kind of a jumpsuit, and he looks kind of small. And then as the thing progresses, he just starts to strip away his clothing mm-hmm. until he's just this big, massive, sweating guy um, who who really is a threat. And uh, and that was all designed by him, and very. it was very it was very very cool, you know. And you can't do that unless you really know your character, unless you really know what you want to do. And he did. That is that is that is that is awesome. I mean that that 
this speaks to the amount of effort and thought he puts into you know his role and and how it translates and 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 how unconsciously really it affects the viewer that's right because, and before you know, we before went, we before we leave david i just want to mention i wanted to go back to something you said about him being likable david is a very inherently likable guy anyway and uh, we we designed this character in particular in a way he's it becomes clear he's the adversary he, he's a, a KGB Osnos commando who you know is a is a lethally trained guy and and you you understand from the beginning that he's capable of doing bad things. However, it, it, he's not a two dimensional villain. He he is a guy who actually he really truly believes what he's doing is the right thing. And so, and there, there's a point where, where this debate happens between the two of them, uh, where, he, where you know he he actually you know he asks Ed Harris, well, what if you're wrong? And he, and they sort of go back and forth, and it, it you know it, it it leads you to the conclusion that that somebody's got to be wrong here, and and either way it goes, the 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 outcome could be catastrophic. So it's. Um, so that that likability, I, I think, adds credibility to uh, his argument. Well, that is fascinating, and I and I want to stay with the acting, but I was intrigued at the same time with the writing, and 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 one of the one of the things that intrigued me too is the dilemma facing the Jonathan Sheck character in terms of his allegiances and loyalties, and and uh, and the and the position that he's put in between, you know, Ed Harris and what these other people are requesting or expecting or demanding so um but again there is you know a, a really nice performance coming from jonathan and and each of these uh cast members so it, sure. I, I was i was as the person watching as as an, as an actor or somebody involved in the film industry i was watching and just going wow this is cool it, it's the the there's little looks that that i that that uh, went between, say, you know, William Fishner and Ed Harris, or or, or moments where somebody's like, um, you know, Ed may have looked away, and and William responds, you know, you know, with a thought that it, that are so subtle but so, I thought, eloquent. That uh, well, I, I, yeah, you know, I'm glad you picked up on that. Two things: first of all, Sheck is a really fine, fine actor and a great guy, uh, on top of everything else. So, uh, all of these guys, I mean, we really had a. <laughs> A full-on bromance. Everybody in that cast, you know, is essentially all men, you know, in this tiny right. little space, and and we sort of mirrored the the uh, experience of actually going out on a submarine because we were on a submarine, so it was uh, it was it was interesting. But the thing about Check that's you know from a writing point of view is that that character he plays the political officer who is uh, in in some ways I suppose a, a cliched familiar character in uh, in movies that. Uh, deal with the Soviet Union um but he is really the he's sort of us that that's how as a as a character he serves the the the, P, the 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 screenplay he he's the guy that doesn't really know which way to go but he's trained right. to be to tow the the party line and so uh is is uh, Ed's character um makes mention at, at some point you know he he's trained to fear everything so in 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 the spirit of that it, it it's sort of difficult for him to take a side uh and and so we are sort of invited to to see the the world through his prism and uh and not really know for a while you know which way because ed ed's character is very fractured and damaged and uh 
David's is sort of young and virile and and very um, uh, very clear about his point of view. And so Jonathan's sort of in the middle, like a metronome, ticking back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So so uh, we'll come back to how do you cast? How did you cast the movie? I mean, in other words, how did you end up? You, you said you'd known David from something else, and and uh, uh, but not just not just these main four, but you've got you know the crews and other people that play pivotal roles inside this. Can you can you walk us a little bit through the casting process of a of a film like this? So we should let people know that it is an it's an independently made movie. It's an indie film. You know, it's not a studio movie. No, no, not at all. It's it's a very very modest um, movie. Um, and, uh, and and some of the critics, I think, actually picked on the movie because I think it's perceived as a bigger movie than it actually is. Um, but it was a it was a very small movie. I can tell you about the origin of it uh, in a few minutes. But um, sure. uh, I just lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Oh, casting. Yes. All um, right. So I I pretty much always try to do the 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 same thing. I I guess it's deliberate. Um, the first thing with me is it's always about the material, and I obviously. You know, those of us who write spend an awful uh, an awful lot of time uh, trying to make uh, the screenplay uh, airtight and and create characters that actors want to play. And in in order to uh, attract people like Ed Harris, um, it, it has to be three dimensional because he, he a guy like him will sniff it out in a second and just and just move on. You know, he he won't even take the time if there isn't something there that's in, interesting to him. So. The, the story of of me and Ed is that we've known each other for for some years. We we actually met because our daughters rode horses together. Uh, Ed's daughter's now off in college. My my daughter's still doing it, and um, so we got to know each other. And and Ed is a very um, he, he's a shy man. He, he's not an easy man to get to know. And I I respected that, but of course I'm I, I'm a total dork fan as well so, you know i had to really sort of pace pace my uh my you know getting to know him a little bit and, and sort of do it on his level so he didn't think i was some stalker or something and uh, so over time uh he and uh and amy his wife amy madigan and my wife liz and i we we became friendly and in time uh i just I just really wanted to write something for him, and uh, part of the reason that I that I wrote the movie was because I wanted to write something for Ed to do. Uh, although that wasn't the only reason. Um, over time, when I was Ed and I became friends, this, this is over a period of years, I suppose, and uh, and we ended up uh, becoming tennis partners. We played tennis quite a bit, and so we got to know each other uh, through that. You know, I'd see him two or three times a week. And so by the time that that I um you know asked him to to look at the material um I, I didn't have any fear there our our friendship was not threatenable you know because it, it it's I we both understand the professional aspects of it so I gave it to Ed and and he turned <clears throat> around pretty quickly and said uh you know this is really something that's that's interesting can we sit down and talk about it and we did and eventually he came aboard and what that does uh, for for all, you know all of our our friends out there who are also trying to make films, when you cast somebody with credibility like that in your movie, it gives everybody else permission to to look at it you know at, at it seriously, and uh, that includes you know agents and managers and uh, lawyers and those sort of things. But this was easier than that because uh, because Bill Fickner and I had also worked together, 
And when you've been in the business long enough doing this, you, you kind of you know collect this cadre of just amazing, talented people around you, and it becomes easy to reach out to them personally rather than sort of going through this labyrinth of of handlers. And uh, so Bill come, came aboard and David came aboard, and then everybody else just sort of fell into place. I, I mean, I, we were sort of fighting people off because, after all, who wouldn't want to be in a submarine movie with those guys? Right, right. <laughs> well, and it is, uh, it is, I think, uh, wonderfully written. It's suspenseful from start to finish. I want to mention what uh, someone said in the chat room, too. I... Um, um, uh, I guess Cindy Manson says, uh, the film was intensely intimate but not claustrophobic as would be expected on a sub was that intentional, loved it. And uh, and you and I have discussed this about, you know, being on subs and things like that. Uh, it, it is it is very intimate at the same time, and it is very tight, and it could be claustrophobic, but, but, it, but as a viewer, it, it's so much beyond that. I think it's a, it's subjective um, in terms of how one experiences it, and uh, I I certainly respect um, uh, your 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 person's um, uh, thoughts there. Um, other people have uh, you know have commented that it's intensely um, claustrophobic. So uh, all I can tell you is that to make it, uh, it was pretty tight. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't deliberately um, trying trying to make it feel open. I, we were trying to, in fact, in in terms of the lensing of it, you know, we were on extremely wide lenses for a lot of it, and and would, you know, slowly you know pull in on it and get longer and longer and longer when we wanted to direct focus or pull focus from one thing to another. Um, but that the control room or the con, which um, quite a bit of the film takes place in, is only 12 feet wide by about 22 feet deep with a big superstructure in the middle of it. And we had um, some, close to 30 people in there. Uh, and, th- you know, that's about the size of a, you know, somebody's a good-sized bathroom in a house. And most right. of those 30 people were trying not to be seen. So, yeah, it, it was pretty tight. and um, But it really created uh, a, a very sort of natural f- familiarity with, with the with those conditions, there's nothing soft in a submarine. I smack my head every day on something, especially Russian submarines. There's they just kind of, you know, built the tube and then they any they cut everything up and put it through you know hatches and then weld it back together. So it's you feel like you're sort of inside the belly of the beast, and uh, and that created very real conditions for the actors. And so it wasn't hard for them to you know, pretend that they were on a submarine. They actually were on a submarine, and I, I think that and, uh, uh, added to the intensity. Well, I, I, I agree that, that the viewer, you know, subjectively would feel claustrophobic or not. I think that the people who've been on a sub for, you know, any period of time obviously aren't claustrophobes. I mean, <laughs> but uh, that is such incredibly tight uh, circumstances, and I want to come back and and. and Again, talk to you about that. I've got a question in the chat room. Where I'm going to jump topics here because Jake Settler, a uh, uh, filmmaker himself, is uh, also said he loved White Squall uh, earlier and wanted to know if, if you sailed and or uh, were a captain. His his father is a, a, a captain, sailboat captain. Um, but he asked, he asked, without, I guess, getting into dollars amounts, but he asked, um, you know, how was it financed? And... Uh, and then he said a personal note that says that you are from Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania. He's just curious what city 
Well, um, here's a big shout-out to the Keystone State. Um, appreciate my home state. I'm from a town called Media, Pennsylvania, um, which is... Oh, um, how apt. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, suburban Philadelphia, and uh, it was a great place to grow up. I still have many, many friends there. In fact, uh, last night I got a, a Facebook, well, I, I, a whole bunch of kids from or people from my senior class filled a movie theater last night in, at Painter's Crossing, uh, Pennsylvania, to see the movie, and then they called me on a speakerphone. So it was really cool to be supported uh-huh. by um, all my, my friends for all these years back there. Very cool. Um, so anyway, I'm from Pennsylvania and uh, moved to New York and then uh, eventually made it out to Los Angeles. Um, but what was his question about sailing? About the financing, and, and we, had, we had mentioned that we might talk oh. about financing and marketing versus the development. And um, and so if you have any um, anything to add about how the movie may, was financed being an independent film. Well, here, here's what I would say uh, about financing movies, um, especially for um, you know my, my fellow colleagues out there who are trying to make movies it's you know the money is the toughest thing i suppose or one of the toughest things i think there is you can't wait for anybody's permission to do anything in this life it's just my personal opinion there is tremendous power in beginning and so when i tell people at this point in my life uh so this is the project i'm working on this is what i'm going to go do they kind of like sit up and listen because i usually get them done but I don't know how I'm going to get them done. I just there, there is something uh, in the in the ether when you announce and are committed to getting something done one way or the other, where momentum begins and people start to believe. And before you know it, you have a a team of people who want to be part of that energy. And one way or another, things start to come together. In this case, my partner Julian Adams and I. Uh, began sort of thinking through this idea uh, with the intent of trying to make a a micro-movie in a very real environment um, whereby we could could sort of bring in this this confluence of of technology, which is digital digital, uh, capture technology, which we could now get into an actual... Practical submarine. You couldn't really get a Panavision camera in this play, in this thing, but I could get a, a Red Epic in there. Um, I, I worked with my my DP to figure out how to move the camera, how to how to choreograph the movement in the boat, and all those kind of things. That coupled with the the idea that or or the fact that the the, the sensors on the cameras are so sensitive that uh, it did not require a lot of light. So um, so Steve Lundgren, our our, our gaffer, built. Uh, dozens and dozens of little LED lights, panel pa- block panel lights, and so forth, and we were able to hide it all and backlight all the texture in the submarine, which was really neat because it allowed me to drop the camera low and look up into all of that texture. Um, uh-huh. Where normally on a on a set, you know, you'd be looking up into a grid, and so those things allowed us to take advantage of the of the submarine. And then we also wanted to to learn a little bit more about uh, about digital animation, CGI, and how to blend all those things together and do it for no money. Um, we initially were hoping to were committed to doing this for half a million bucks, if if Ooh. that's what it took. So uh-huh. so, so the momentum, you know, began. <clears throat> Ed came aboard before I had money, committed to it, and then. 
uh, you know, oddly, you just never know how these things are going to go. Um, my partner, my partners, both of them, uh, in addition to Julian uh, Pendentium and John Watson, uh, we all teach classes at uh, the, the, the film school at the University of Southern California. And it just so happens that a, a guy that had been one of John's students, who was now a development person, the script came across his desk. He looked at it, saw that John was producing it, and actually elected to read the thing. And that led us to the, the, the company that finally financed the film, RCR, and they committed to it, and we made it at a slightly high, higher budget level. Wow. So I guess the moral yeah. of the story is begin, you know, begin and be committed to, to, to seeing it done uh, and never give up. That's sort of the way I, I go through life. No, that is absolutely, absolutely fascinating, um, and uh, you know that it it uh, is the the just do it, you know, get it done and and uh, build it, and they will come. Kind of. Um, well, listen. Let me digress for just a second and sure. say that, you know, in, I think I made my my first sort of short film, you know, opus, <laughs> in I think it was 1990. And it was a little film called Angel Fire. And, uh, you know, I got everything for free. Uh, I got Panavision cameras and the whole thing, and I went and made this 30-minute movie. And it cost my family about 100 grand that they will never get back in this lifetime. And I, I'm still in their debt because they, they paved the way, um, friends and family, I should say, they paved the way for me to learn and fail and make mistakes and, uh, and you know, and learn. And... But today you don't have to do that. I mean, today you can you can you know own or borrow a DSLR with wonderful lenses, um, with high speed sensors. Um, you can cut it on Final Cut Pro or or Avid on your laptop. There's no reason why why you can't be making a movie a month to learn and 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 to make mistakes and, and you know so. It, it's a very exciting time for young filmmakers. I think. Um, I, I think it's it's uh, it's a tsunami for all the film festivals because there's so much more material to, to sort of wade through. But in terms of being able to learn your craft, it's not nearly as expensive, and you don't need permission uh, for. And the whole the whole distribution and ex, uh, the way we exhibit films is changing as well. I mean, it's changing. The sands are shifting under our feet. And it's really being defined by young filmmakers. Um, so if, if we can sort of adjust our egos in terms of how m movies are actually seen, um, there's no reason why your stories can't get out there. Um, you know, scenery doesn't cost anything. You know, great, great scopey landscapes, you know, to, put, to, to use as backdrops against your writing, you know, they don't necessarily cost anything. So... People care about characters and they care about story. They don't care about, you know, big sweeping CGI necessarily. So, um, so I, I just think it's an exciting time. Now, it is a, it is an exciting time, and I and I like uh, what you have said in terms of you know just go do it, and encouraging people to continue to make movies. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that that embedded in that is is your. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the word I want to use. Um, admonition, I guess, you know, to care about story and characters and performance because 
you know, I think a lot of people get caught up with the, you know, even though they have a, a, a technology now available to them, that they're so interested in setting up the shot and getting it to look a certain way that they forget that what's in front of the camera is is who and what is telling the story. Well, look, everything in the frame should be telling the story, and and all that counts is what happens in the frame. And when you're on a movie, especially when you're new at it, you know, there's a lot of excitement that surrounds that. There are dozens and dozens of people. There are all kinds of things going on. It's very exciting. You have toys, maybe. Maybe you've got your first techno crane. You've got all this stuff. And But at the en- in the end, if that is not informing the needs of the characters, if, if it's not somehow helping tell the story, then you're sort of spinning your wheels. <clears throat> and I don't think you ever get credit for that if people don't care about the characters and, and care about what they care about. So <clears throat> it, it, there is a there is a you know a bear trap there to get to fall too in love with the experience that you're having rather than um, you know staying focused on the, the real job at hand, which is to tell the character stories. So going back to the notion of casting, when uh, you've got your, your you know your four major leads, but then you have all these other people who, again, there are pivotal roles and lesser roles and and things like that. How do you how do you one um, you cast them? But when you're in a situation and on set, what do you do as a director to get the actor to deliver a performance or work with them in order to get the performances uh, that we then see on the screen that make the movie so compelling? Well, you know, it's um, you do all kinds of things. I mean, you you as a director, you really are performing. Um, I heard Clint Eastwood say once that the secret to d- directing is stamina, and it's true because it takes a tremendous amount of energy to hold all of these things in your head um, th- that are based on instinct anyway. But y- y- you know, you have to hold on to all that. And then at the same time, you have to let a lot of it go because, y- 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 at least my view is, that uh, because I'm a writer-director, I, I write the script. I, I, I use that to, as a blueprint to get everybody together. I explain what, I, what my impulses and instincts are. Um, and you have to be <clears throat> you know, clear about what those things are. You really have to be able to define for everybody what, you, what you're going for. And then I, I invite them to make it better. Because, you know, your, your production designer, your, your, uh, your DP, your, uh, your costume designer, all these people, you know, you just have this cavalcade of, of talent around you that all do what they do far better than you do. So you have to give them a little bit of, of rope to, to make it better, and they almost always do. Um, so, so then getting back to the acting, it, it's sort of the same thing. You know, I I, t- I give the actors as much information as I can at some point. Ask them to go away, make choices. You know, l- learn the text and come back, and then we explore. And it really is uh, it really is um, a process of discovery um, where you where you sort of find the blocking. I mean, when I was you know earlier in my career, I would really try to pre-block all the scenes. And uh, in the case of Phantom, because we were in such a specific location, um, Byron Werner and I sat down and, and actually, we didn't really storyboard, but we, we sort of plan viewed where all the possible camera locations were. Um, and then we, you know, how are we going to cover this? How are we going to cover that? And in this instance, we decided that we were going to 
you, you know, basically throw the line out, the, you know, the, 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 the sort of, you know, line that you never break. We didn't really care about that so much because I think that people's, um, the way people experience movies ha- has become much more sophisticated. They get it. You know, things move around, people move around. And uh, but but within that little area, you know, I, I let the actors sort of find the blocking a little bit, and and let them sort of work within it, and then we, and then you rehearse it a few times, and it start you start to dial it in, and it starts to become about something, and then you go, okay, okay, now now that we've rehearsed it, and and I see where this is all going, I'll I'll focus it a little bit, and 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 sort of you know, try to get them to accommodate the crew a little bit. And then I send them off to hair and makeup, and that's when we sort of light and, and get everything set to go. And then they come back, and, you know, I'll, I'll orient them if they're off point a little bit, but, but really you just let them do their work. And uh, I'm going to get another crack at them in the editing room anyway. So, you know, uh, I, I really don't go – I really go for process. I don't go for result. The, the result will take care of itself. You know, the, the power of the result – is that it is the sort of the, the the jet fuel that gets you from here to there. But, you know, I will never tell somebody to cry or to drop a tear or to get angry. I, I never give people direction like that. They'll they'll get somewhere, you know. You just got to make sure that, you know, they're sort of headed in the right general direction. Does that make sense? It, it does. And, and is there a sample, I guess, for, for further clarification of, of how – uh, you uh, give a process instruction if you don't give an end result, if you don't say cry or be angry. Um, is there is Sure, there I, I can give you some examples. Uh, for instance, um, the way that I view actors, depending on where they are in their career and their experience level, is they, they have different gears. Um, Ed Harris, Bill Fickner, David, these guys all have five, six gears, which which is to say they can do five or six things at the same time. And I can... If I see something, if I'm back at the monitor or I'm next to the camera and I see something, I might go up and whisper something in Ed's ear, you know, like, um, you know, like, you know, notice what's on his clothes. It can be something as simple as that, just to give him something to, to or somebody, just to give them one other little element. And it, it, maybe it just makes their eyes move. I, I don't even know. But those guys, you know, you they're capable of doing a lot of things at once. And you don't really have to tell them because they're they're so um, skilled and experienced. With <clears throat> with younger actors, they can they tend to get nervous. Sometimes uh, uh, we had a big dinner scene. There's a big dinner scene, which is like the, the nightmare for directors because you have to cover everybody, and you know it's always it's it's very time consuming. Um, but we we would go around the horn and get you know start with Ed, and you know that we we tend to. Uh, accommodate those guys first, and then you, you start to fall off to the younger guys, and they're sitting there getting more and more nervous as they're watching these these great actors work. And so, by the time you get to you know so and so, the guy's a wreck, <laughs> you know. And all of a sudden, he can't remember his lines anymore. When he was off camera, he was doing great, and all of a sudden, the camera he finds the camera on himself and he falls apart. So, with people like that, you, you know, you have to encourage them, and you have to get. Sometimes I give them little tricks. I you know, one guy I, I said, uh, "Listen, I need you to run down this hallway." We actually were on a stage on this one day. I said, "You need to run down back and forth in this hallway a couple of times, and then come back here, and we're going to roll." And he looked at me like I was crazy. But what I was really doing was I was trying to give him something to sort of change his biology, to get his heart thumping. Did he? 
to get his mind off of, you know, performance. How do I look? Get him out of his head. Uh, and sometimes little things like that can work because you're, you're sort of giving them a little tool to trick them out of what's what's holding them back. So, but it's still not directed at a at a at a final result. It's it's really just trying to free them to be um, to be in the moment. Uh, that is awesome, and I'm glad that you you added that to it. Um, uh, I'm going to have to take a short break here, and then we're going to come right back. So everybody, stay tuned, and uh, Todd, hang in there, and we'll be right back. Okay? You bet. All right, you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official URL is rexsykes.com. That's my name, your host, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. Please share this interview and these interviews uh, with your friends and your colleagues. Spread it near and far. Uh, All of the interviews are recorded. We're recording live right now, and it's archived at rexsykes.com in the interviews blog. There's a biography of my guest. Go and read Todd's biography and and then uh, invite other people to do as well, and then there's a link for uh, listening to the archived show or... Uh, as the case may be, it would be a live show, uh, and they're stored there. They're also available at Blog Talk Radio. They're available, uh, you know, on the on the Facebook pages that you see them on, as well as at the iTunes Store. Please leave comments before you uh, leave the show today. Uh, go to the player uh, where you're listening, and beneath it or beneath the chat room, there's a comment section. Just go, you know, and add comments or Facebook them or tweet them, but help us spread the word so that others can listen as well and learn from my guests because that's what it's all about. Movie Beats really designed to be a resource for you and that's why I connect you up with people who are making it happen. All right, so let me tell you that we've got a lot of great guests coming up. I'm only going to mention one of them for the near future, and that's Peter Marshall. He'll be back in in March because we're doing our director series. I want you to pay attention to that. But I also want to tell you that I'm going to be in Toronto uh, the 9th and 10th. Peter's doing a director's uh, workshop for uh, advanced film directing, working with actors. He's invited me to come on up, and, and we're going to meet in person for the first time after four years of talking and discussing and everything. So I'm going to be in Toronto uh, this coming weekend, and uh, you can find out about the workshop if you're interested at raindance, raindance.org. It's part of raindance.org uh, Toronto, and it's the uh, Peter Marshall Advanced Film Directing, and it's working with actors. So uh, that's what Peter's got coming up. I'm going to be there if you're in Toronto. We get to meet up. And uh, stay tuned for all my fabulous guests upon uh, my return. Uh, meanwhile, join us at uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook, the Friends page, and uh, and help us spread the word about all of my guests and about this interview you're listening to today. I've been live tweeting while we've been talking, and if you can tweet as well uh, while we're talking and share what my guest has to say, that is always a, a great plus to get other people to listen. All right, so we're back with you, Todd. Um, again, I want to say that that uh, having you discuss what to do with both seasoned actors and or uh, not such seasoned actors is uh, very um, helpful for uh, both directors and actors. Uh, what I like is the fact that um, you know, what you said before: everything in the frame is important, but it but it's literally it's it's the character and what the character is concerned about that the audience is concerned about, and uh, and and how you you know work with an actor whether they're they're a newer newer actor or a more seasoned actor uh, to bring that about, and it's it's also particularly interesting for me to listen to you because it it. Um, 
it exemplifies to me wisdom and experience in that you know you're a writer and you're also the director uh, and and somehow you have to reconcile what you have inside your mind or your hopes and your dreams from something with with what you're also you know getting both on film and in in live performance that's being captured on film and then and then coming back in the editing room um uh that that um ability to to stay open i think is something that's truly um and uh, just my opinion truly an important um a facility to have as as a as a as a person as well as a director well it's all an experiment really you know and uh and that's the scary part about it because you know you have structure you have uh, you, you know, you've planned this fight, and then now you're going to try to fight the plan, and then invariably things go wrong. Um, you know, the, the clock is the enemy. You're always working against the clock. Um, and everybody uh, on a film crew is trying to please you. They're trying to they, – they just are so dedicated to getting you what you want. And all that really matters but, – but, I should say, all that really matters is what happens in the frame – and it it sounds obvious but uh, but as a as a working filmmaker it's very easy to get pulled off track by the fact that there's this circus going on around you and what you're really trying to do all that matters all the the contracts the negotiations the the everything all, it all comes down to putting these two or three people in front of a camera for 30 seconds you know and so uh -huh. and, and in that you have to try to get out of the way you have to focus it, but you have to get out of the way and let them do what you pay what you're paying them to do. I mean, I I didn't hi hire Ed Harris so that I could tell him what to do. I hired him so that he could lend me his talent for a little while. You know, um, you know, I I mean, that's what's really happening. Uh, and then if if I can be there to guide him, um, if he needs a little, you know, if he needs me to help him, you know, step back on the track, then that's what I do. Um, but but I think that um, you know good directors everywhere will will sort of tell you the same thing and and if they're not like that if they if they are uh, you know sort of more more uh, myopic about it um, it probably is driving their actors a little bit crazy. Um, having been on the other end of directors who uh, are more wanting to be puppet masters, <laughs> it does drive it does drive actors crazy. It really does. So yeah. that's why that's why I think I mean it, it demonstrates respect for the process and a respect for the person. Now, yeah, obviously, this respect with Ed and Bill and and you know Jonathan and Dave, you know, it's an earned respect. I mean, they've they've come up through the ranks. They demonstrate you know exemplary, exemplary work. You know, what is it like too for you? I guess people you know want to know when you're working with people of this caliber. Now they're friends, but uh, you know, I've been asked, is is it ever intimidating? Well, it, we're we're friends, but it's entirely professional. You know, it's like they're not doing me any favors. Believe me. I, I mean, if if uh, somebody d didn't relate to the to the writing, they they wouldn't be able to accept the the job. <clears throat> you know, I mean, my, our friendship simply gives me access. From there, the 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 material has to do its work. My ability to persuade. You know, I I still have to, you know, do what I have to do to to close the deal with these people and. And there are, you know, just so many forces working against you all the time. Um, so many people trying to protect these folks, you know. Um, uh, so, 
you know, it's um I, I think I feel like I got off track a little bit, but <clears throat> it's um it's still a process. Um what was your question again? I got an email question that somebody said, you know, you're working with this talent, you know, this caliber of talent, does it ever Oh, is it ever intimidating, right? Um, Well, I'll tell you something that's sort of interesting about Ed, for instance. Um, Ed is a very um, emotional guy, and he's really, really demanding of himself. And in this movie in particular, if you've ever seen a submarine movie, you know that there's a lot of... Uh, nomenclature and sort of uh, gobbledygook, you know, about, you know, come left, uh, rudder five degrees up, you know, three degrees up bubble. You know, there's stuff like that, that uh, in the the case of this movie, because we were block shooting everything, um, you know, he he really wanted to understand what he was asking the ship to do. And and it all had to be choreographed because it, it had to line up with what the, the the CG and practical model was going to be doing. The camera had to be choreographed. The actors had to be choreographed. And and over time, you know, he would you know he kind of you know lose focus from time to time and get down on himself. And you know, like and he worked himself up, you know, into kind of like a state. And then you know we kind of like sit there and go, okay. And you have to understand. You know, the other actors are six inches away from him. I mean, six inches. And Ed's intense. You know, you, you've seen him work. He's like that in between takes sometimes. And then, you know, I'd go, I, I'd kind of let him do his thing, and then I'd say, Ed, bing, bing, bing. And he'd look at me, and he'd go, okay, boom. And he just put it right back into the, he put that energy, his intensity, whatever he was feeling right that moment, right through the text. And it's just absolutely engaging. And and that's what I mean about like having the, the, the sort of freedom to not edit yourself. And because he was committed to the words, he just needed. He, in that moment, his frustration was he wasn't sure where he was in the story. And but he would just like put that energy right back. You know, he wouldn't. Somebody once said to me, I think it was an acting teacher said to me, uh, "Don't begin." Don't begin. Don't wind up. Don't get like take a deep breath and go. Okay, here I go. You know, don't do that. Just you know, Clint Eastwood doesn't even say action. He just says, okay, you know, let's some, and the actors kind of start. The language begins or something. You know, it's it's like you just don't want to put that on you. And Ed was just a again a, a you know just a real pleasure and learning experience to watch because he doesn't edit himself that way. He just, whatever's going on right now goes into it and it's right because it's real. And then the other actors work off of that energy. They feed off of that energy. And so, um, and, and you never know what you're going to get. And the reason that the guys like him is like Ed and De Niro and others are so interesting and dangerous is because I don't think they know what they're going to do next. And the only way to get there is to kind of like abandon you know any any notion of being on the outside looking in at yourself, and um, you know I don't know if that makes any sense exactly. Maybe you have to be there to see it to understand it fully. But um, but it may it really makes my job a pleasure because I can sit back and go I can't believe they're doing this in front of my camera. You know? <laughs> That's very cool. I want to ask you uh, now. I want to tell the listeners that you know we we've talked and and there's a lot that we can come back and and continue to talk about you know the digital photography and CGI versus miniatures and a lot of different things. I want to kind of stay on the acting thing here for a second if you don't mind. Um, and but oh, what I was going to say is that we'll come back another day and talk more about many different topics because this is just an absolutely excellent opportunity to have you 
you know, on the show and be able to discuss uh, the movie and 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 uh, directing and acting and writing in this fashion. So I appreciate it. Uh, but you said something that I I used to say on the show, and I, I actually got into a, a, a discussion with another director at one point because I said I used to tell actors ago they can't fix you in editing, so bring your A game. And on the air one day, this director, friend of mine, said, "Oh no, no, absolutely. That we, we, you know, we can fix it. I mean, you know how many horrible performances there are that that are, you know, re, you know, editing itself." Now, my my purpose in telling actors, you know, they can't fix you in the editing room is because I want them, in my in my feeble mind, thinking, you know, I, I do have to bring my A game. I have to be prepared. I have to show up. I have to be professional. I, I've got to have my homework. I got to know how to work with these people and 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 deliver a performance. Uh, so I've always steered them away from the notion that they could be corrected and you know something could be salvaged in editing. However, we we do know that that's true. <laughs> Can you talk about that? And and in you know in the essence of when you're cutting for a performance, is there are there any tips or guidelines or suggestions you can give editors and or directors out there um, to know kind of what you know what principle or what criterion to use to to enhance the performance? Uh, the reason I say that is because I, I've recently been working with an editor, uh, or somebody who is editing the work, and uh, I have a different editor now, edit, actually editing, because um, I kept saying we, well, we have to work this way, we've got to tighten it up, and they would go, oh, I'm good, I'm, I'm learning what a good performance is from you, and I'm like, but I need you to know what a good performance is right. from the start. Well, I, th- I think um, both things that, that you and your your guests said are true. Um, I can't imagine an actor coming to set unprepared. I mean, that's just potential suicide. So, right. uh, you know, I, I mean, if you're not if you're not professional enough to come to, to at least my set ready to go, then I'm going to replace you. So, um, so there's that. There there are people, however, that um, for whatever reason have a tough time. Uh, you know, sure. I, I'll, I'll, I'll again give you an example of sort of journeyman a journeyman uh, sort of mistake. Um, again, I'm referring to a dinner scene that we had uh, that, that's in the, where there's probably eight, eight or so people sitting around a table. And what the, what the pros understand, the guys that have been there before, is they figure out in rehearsal what they're going to do. Now, this is a long scene. This is probably a four-minute scene where people come and go. and So we did it in bits and pieces. However... The, the, the pros understand that they need to choreograph and reduplicate exactly what they're doing every single time. If I pick up a glass on this line and I drink, even if it's on something like taking a bite of bread, whatever it is, it has to be identical every time so that you so that it'll cut. The guys that are uh, that are less experienced will kind of stumble their way through it. And so what happens is, you, you know, when you go to cut that. You'll have a, a shot where uh, you know Joe Blow over here uh, in in this shot has got the glass to his mouth. We cut back to the other guy, and then the next thing you know, he's got a piece of bread in his mouth. So, in other words, when you're when you're intercutting different takes, and the guy didn't duplicate the same uh, action, you suddenly got a problem. And so, so what happens when you? That's just an an example of like business, sure. right? But but even in terms of uh, actually acting, if if you are sort of stumbling around and not being consistent, what it does for for myself and the editor is it tends to force us into 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 a performance. In other words, 
we're going to have to use this piece from here and this piece from there and that piece from there because they're the only three pieces that we'll cut together. So instead of me having options to and choices to make you better, um, I'm forced into a, into finding the one box that works, and so that limits that limits your performance. So I mean, we yeah, we can save it a lot of times by cutting away, by doing this, by doing that, um, but. And you know, you come in and you can do, you know, you, you can add ADR and, and, and so forth. But what you really need to do is come in and be consistent and and know what you're doing and and go for it. Um, so I, I I hope that answers your question. Um, it, it's really a two-sided thing. Yes, you you can be saved in editing, but it, it isn't necessarily the best thing for your performance. Uh, that's excellent information, and I think it also I think where I run into a lot of young actors and uh is is that they think well you know that's why you have a continuity person and i'm like well they can only watch so much you have to be responsible too and and you you know you've you've addressed that that the actor needs to to be aware of what they're doing kind of like what you said about david in the beginning where you know where he he went from being this small guy in the uniform to this big guy you know he was tracking his own character and 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 the, the script person um, I, especially in a scene like that, they they just can't be they just can't see everything. It's impossible. So um, so yeah, you you really have to take it upon yourself to sort of self direct there. Um, but you know, I learn these things too. Half the time, I I don't see it either until I get to the editing room and I'm like, ah, right. ah that's a great performance from this guy, but this person over here is is doing something that's sort of counterintuitive to what they were doing before or whatever. You know, so. Um, but you know that again that that in in that way uh, the 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 movie will sometimes define itself because there's there's only one way around a problem, and so there you go. And in the case of this film, I mean our our coverage was very very thin, very light, and so you know sometimes I only had two takes from somebody, especially if you're the fourth guy in the scene, you know. And and I felt badly because sometimes you give people short shrift. But um, now I'm now I'm boxed in. You know, I I've only got and if, if the guy flubbed it twice and I didn't catch it, you know, now I got to figure out a way. How do I, you know, work around the room so that I can sort of cover the mistake so that you don't notice it? It's you know, I should mention that Terrell Gibson uh, cut this film and he, he's a remarkable editor. Um, cut all the fight scenes for the fighter, uh, among other things, and. Um, and and he just you know really did a terrific job trying to cover so many people in such a small space. Well, and again, I want to encourage the listeners to go see the movie. They can see it right now. It is in theaters, and it opened on Friday the first, and uh, it is available. So get out and see it, especially now that you've heard Todd talking, and and check out some of the things if you haven't seen it yet that that we've been discussing. It's a, a fascinating. Uh, a fascinating film, a suspenseful film, and and superbly acted. I, I really did, really did enjoy it. And, and as I told, as I tell people, you know, when I go to a movie, especially somebody you know who I know, uh, I'm I'm more I'm more frightened of the prospect than I am welcoming the prospect because I'm always afraid. Oh my God, what if I hate it? Uh, I was so thoroughly pleased and so thoroughly delighted in uh, in uh, the movie that uh, I do. I want to go back, I want to see it again, in light of everything we've talked about, too. But just because it's it's the kind of movie I can see more than once, and the performances are such, uh, and, and the story is such, that uh, I know others will want to do the same as well. 
before I mean we've got we've got time, but I just want to make sure that I cover my bases. Um, you know, is there an official website for Phantom of the Movie that we can let the listener know about? I uh, um, I thought I would have that, but you know what? I sure. uh, there 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 are a couple that you can you can go see. You can go to um, uh, phantomthefilm.com. That's right, phantomthefilm.com. Which is a great one. You can also go to uh, RCR Media Group. Uh, they have a lot of information up about it. And also, uh, if you Google Solar Filmworks, uh, that, that also there's also a, a very active Facebook page, and uh, you can lock into us through Twitter and all of those those sort of uh, devices. There you go. Right, Phantom PhantomTheFilm.com, Phantom yep. the Film, and Solar Filmworks. Yeah. Uh, let, let's see here. Um, I know that. Uh, let's see if it's Solar filmworks.com. Let's see if I can do that. Maybe not. But oh yes, there we go. Solarfilmworks.com. There you go. So uh very cool. Very cool. I wanted to be sure I do that. And you're on Facebook as well. And Solar Filmworks uh is at Phantom let's see here. They have a Twitter. <laughs> um, this is where Rex gets lost in computer land, you know, going, okay, where which windows, what things are going on here? Yeah, I think it's at Phantom Movie or at Phantom Film. It's Phantom the Movie at Twitter. Phantom there you go. the Movie okay. at Twitter is Solar Filmworks, and uh, and it's very cool. So let's see here. Yeah, we've got about twenty minutes left. So uh, the uh, the notion of being boxed in by a performance again uh, to you know my listeners are a list listeners all the way to newbies, people who are just picking up a camera, just starting out in acting, and everybody in between. But the notion that uh, 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 you know, you when if a perform, you know, if there's a continuity issue, uh, that the actor could have been um, more aware of. You know, if they were if they were doing it consistently the way they should have, uh, allows you what you. I, I love what you said. It gives you more options, and if not, you're restricted by those. The same would be true, uh, too, though, if they couldn't deliver um, the performance that you wanted. In other words, if the performance were less than glorious, hopefully the day they show up on the set, that's not the case. But if somebody's performance, just in general, I'm not talking about fans right now, but just in general, if, if somebody couldn't deliver, you, you you tend to end up then having to cut away from that person to the other person more often. I mean, again, we're... we're yeah, you know, I, I guess that's true. I've Honestly, I've, I've never really had that problem. Um, you know, I, I think uh, if you if you end up with somebody like that on your show... Um, you, you didn't do your job, um, you know, in, in the, cast. the casting. Um, so, um, I mean, people really need to come with a, a professional go-to attitude. And uh, and generally, my experience has always been people really come excited. and, and, and uh, Because, listen, you know, John Travolta said to me once, um, we're doing a film together, and he said, he pulled me aside and he said, listen, he said, because I was being distracted by, by producers and trying to make me go fast and this and that and the next thing, and he pulled me aside and he said, listen, he goes, forget about those guys. No matter how much pressure they're putting on you, what's happening right now in front of this frame lasts forever. And nobody's going to care 10 years from now if you and I were you know, be, you know, being pressured to go fast and, and I give a bad performance. You know, it, it, we live with this for the rest of our lives. So, you know, don't let them pressure you. 
And so, you know, that that was a really piece. It was a piece of advice I took to heart. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I'm very responsible to the schedule and the budget, um, but it can't be at the expense of, uh, you know, not being there to fully support the performance and support the actor. But to get back to your point, I don't really find that that that's been the problem for me. Uh, you know, having somebody come and be um, unprepared to the point that I'm going to like. I mean, you, you, you have, the scene's got to be balanced. I mean, the answer is never going to be you know keep the camera on the other guy more. I mean, that, that's right. not really to be a solution. Um, so, I mean, I suppose you could replace somebody. You could do reshoots. Um, but generally, you know, I, I I've never hired somebody that that came unprepared like that so well again i mean again that serves as a, a you know a great uh thing for people to keep in mind one is is don't hire you know people who are not professional i i i see so many in my travels you know uh, situations and see a lot of you know movies that are made i get screeners all the time of things that i go wow you know um you know, I, I imagine that this is, you know, a, a first or second or fifth effort of somebody. But you know, there are things. You know, it's it's that it's that uh, day and age where now that everybody can make a movie, not everybody should, perhaps. Right. Uh, you know, I, I would say th- there's another point to be made that which is this. You know, actors are are very um, linear in the way that they view a script because they're tracking the arcs and peaks and valleys of 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 their storyline. And, and I, I often describe it sort of like, you know, the director is the conductor of the symphony, but the oboe player um, understands their melody and harmony better than perhaps you do. And so often at the table read or or along the line, <clears throat> anywhere along the line, the actor will come to you and they'll say, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm having trouble making this transition here. I'm not under, I'm not clear about what he or she wants right now. Like, and and what they do is they out you in terms of where perhaps you've been lazy in the script or or missed something, and they'll save you time and time again because they're so um, clear about what it is that they have to do and what their job is. And so uh, I would say, you know, more often if there is a problem, it it's really has to do with my writing. Um, because I I didn't get them there, you know, somehow. Um, and then I have to think on my feet, or we have to take a moment and rethink the scene or rewrite the thing or, or, or something. Um, so uh, so that's usually more, more the issue, you know, where you, you're finding the holes, you know, that you didn't see because, you know, you, you, you have this 3,000-foot view of the thing, and they they have this sort of macro view of the thing or micro view of the thing. Um, so uh, you know, the actors make you better; they don't make you worse. That's um, really cool. Uh, that's really a cool statement, and it's a very candid statement to 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 you know say you know somebody may come to me and 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 this is where there may be a hole in my writing. I mean, that's you know those kinds of honest admissions are are. Uh, fascinating. I mean, they're you know because too often maybe we don't hear people who, you know, who who can be as objective with themselves as as that you just were. That's a, that's a very cool um, a take on on you know actors helping you know the director be better. That's very cool. Well, you know, it's it's a funny thing. <clears throat> you have to you really do perform as a director, especially on set. You know, and and because. 
people they need to feel like they have a leader. They 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 want to know that they're that they're following somebody who's going to take good care of them. At the same time, there's a lot that you just don't know. Uh, even though, you, you, and and sometimes there are things that you have to commit to that you're going to find out later aren't going to end up in the movie or you know you, you weren't you weren't hitting the right tone with or something. But uh, but you have to sort of go with your gut. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're not. And um, and hopefully that's when uh, you know editing and music and other things can fill in those those holes if if they are if they're there. Um, so I think you have to be you just really have to be uh, you have to be, show leadership, but you have to be humble in the process because n- nobody knows everything. It's um, you know so it's an interesting sort of uh, you know wire that you have to walk because you can't let too many voices in either because th- then the thing falls apart. If, if you if you open it up to to debate, <laughs> you you know people they're, they're like it's like kicking an anthill, man. All of a sudden everybody's scattered and they're running all over the place, you know. And so, um, but then you have to live with your decisions, you know. It's it's on you. So, well, I, I, I again I, I think this is fascinating. Now I, I will say that you know you the the cast of this movie phantom you know is a stellar cast you've got ed and bill and and jonathan you've got david but you know you've also worked with travolta and james gandolfini and jared leto and Selma hayek and scott Kahn and laura Dern. i mean you're not working with people who are schleps either so <laughs> you're working well, with no pretty- i mean that well, i mean that's the whole point you know you, you get to a you know, you're working your career towards towards a place, or your material towards a place where you can attract those kind of people, and um, and uh, at least you know in the in the phase of of uh, you know cajoling people into you know considering my material, I've I've had some good luck that way, um, and um, it's just a privilege to work with them. I mean. You know, Laura Dern, for crying out loud. I mean, there, there's a woman who uh, never hits a false note. Um, you, you have people like that uh, in your world, and um, even in, in, the, in her case, it was, a, it was a relatively small part. But she came because she wanted to be part of it, you know, and it just, it just uh, boosts the credibility of everything when you, when you have people that, that are willing to come to you uh, and, and, again, you know, lend you their talents. And that's the movie Lonely Hearts, correct? Right. Yes, indeed. That's very cool. That's very cool. So we have um, literally about you know ten to twelve minutes remaining, just so that you know. Um, and we've talked about you know really about the acting and some of the editing. Uh, given given the situation with where you were, and, and we'll probably have to come back on on some of these other topics. But but uh, did you um, inside this this uh, submarine. The, the limitations. You, you you said you were using the red and stuff. How did you how did you work inside such a confined setting? How did you how did you make? How did you shoot it? How, you said the lighting. You know, you had your LED lights and stuff like that, and you were able to look up into the into the tapestry of the inside of the sub. But but um, well, it's a, it's a those who have I mean, the, the challenge of this was. You know, we were working in a real submarine, but it happened to be—it's inert. You know, it's not moving. It's—it's well, really. uh, it's, it's chained to a dock. And so, the question was, you know, how do we give it life? How do we make it a character in the movie? How do we create this symbiotic relationship between this this inanimate thing and the and the men aboard? Because it, 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 for anyone who's ever gone to sea, 
you, you really do personify uh, the, the ship that you're on or the boat that you're on. And um, and so we had to, you know, sort of make it breathe and make give it a heartbeat. Um, and uh, my uh, my technical advisor, Kenneth Sewell, who also wrote a, a really interesting book called Red Star Rogue, which um, this was um, very loosely based on. This is a, sort of a fictionalized account of his conspiracy theory in terms of what actually happened to the submarine, uh, the K-129. Um, he he's also a master engineer, and so he and he spent you know 20 years on submarines, and so he was able to come in and um, get a lot lots of things working that hadn't worked in in a long long time, lights and and so forth. And so um, anyway, you know, it, it was just a it was just sort of form follows function. You know, the the camera movement and 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 th- those sort of things uh, were all defined by uh, the space. Um, there, there was uh, a lot of shooting through things. Um, so that you you always feel like it, it, you're sort of peeking through a keyhole, um, because that's what it is like to be on a submarine. You're always looking through a hatch. You're always trying to look around somebody somebody's head because you're just packed in there. And so uh, th- those things sort of uh, took care of themselves because that those were the actual conditions we were working in. I mean, it was tricky to get, you know, t- sometimes to get a shot, even just an over, because. You know, you're, you're trying to stick the camera between a guy's ear and the telescope or, or the periscope uh-huh. or, or whatever, and uh, or you're, you're pushing through a hatch. I mean, how do you move cameras through these little tight spaces and, and give the audience uh, a sense of uh, of truth in terms of what that experience would be like? So it was it was really interesting and it was it was uh, challenging, but it was fun, and uh, and and we all sort of came together and bonded as a crew and a cast in a way that uh, was a little bit unusual because we were all sharing those same conditions. People weren't running to their cushy trailers because there weren't any. <laughs> well, that does, that does, that, how do, where do you break out in uh, a sub like that? If if uh, an actor is going to go sit and take five or something, do they climb on out or do you have to have a... Um, a no, uh, what we did was uh, th- there are little bunk rooms, you know, or little, you know, there were the cabins, uh, mm-hmm. That are tiny. I mean, they're the they're size like a shower stall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like a like your shower stall sideways. Um, yeah. So there's a little tiny bunk, and that's about it. And so we set those up with little cots in them and things, so that the the, the guys could um, uh, at least the, the primary actors had a place that they could go and let, lie down or take take five minutes while we were resetting. But uh, but generally, I didn't want them to leave the sub. I mean, you could go up up top and get a breath of fresh air, but uh, but the point was to like you know keep the keep keep them in the conditions uh, so that uh, whatever you know it was all real. It, it all created a certain truth. You you you, were, you got crazy in there, and uh, to put that into the work was a was a good thing. That's very cool. Now regarding camera movement, I mean. Uh, you're in these tight situations that you mentioned, you know, getting shots, and yet your camera's moving. It's it's moving forward and 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 backwards. It's moving side to side and around. Um, how did you how did you uh, accomplish that in such tight settings? Well, I didn't want to go. I, you know, I didn't really want to go handheld in, unless the the scene really called for it because it can be a little bit distracting and kind of looks can, can look a little cheap even. So we ran speed rail up and down the hallways so that we could we could you know kind of run the camera up and down. We had a thing called a Dana Dolly, which is like a little skateboard thing again made out of speed rail and uh, and little tiny wheels, so that we could we could dolly. We had sliders, um, camera sliders that we could put on a bazooka mount, and um, 
then we had uh, we also had um, bungee cords where we could like sort of hang the, the the camera, keep tension on it, hanging from the ceiling. We could stick the, that thing anywhere. You just clip it to anything, any pipe or anything. And then we also had this thing that, that we called a, a soccer ball mount, which was it's sort of an apparatus that it's kind of hard to explain, but it's got sort of metal straps around a, an actual soccer ball that you take a little bit of air out of, and you can bolt that onto a you know, onto whatever mechanism you want, sit on a, a you know a sandbag, whatever, and then the camera r- plate bolts onto the top of that. So in places where we wanted to create a sense of sort of floating motion and so forth, that was a really interesting um, little piece. Um, There are lots of all all kinds of little um, neat little um, devices like that that are made for these lighter cameras um, that that really suited this show well. So, uh, again, my my, uh, kudos to Byron Werner, who really thought a lot of that through and, uh, and helped us. Uh, you know, choreograph the movement of this boat that wasn't really moving. Well, that sounds very cool. That they, this this soccer ball uh, mounted camera, when you say it gives you kind of a floating because of the the cushion of the soccer ball. Yes, exactly. I mean, is it something that you use because I mean, you're not your submarine's not moving, so it's it's not trying to stabilize anything. How how did I'm I'm not exact. Can you? It, it just gives you a, like a little bit of a sense of again, you put a little bit of tension on it, and it just it uh, gives the camera a little sense of floating floatiness. You can you can sort of see it at the very end of the movie. We use it uh, quite a bit when the submarine's sort of you know un, not under power and sinking, and you, you sort of get a sense that. Um, that, that there's this sort of floating nature to it. Um, the other thing that we did that was kind of interesting is um, to make the submarine move um, out of port. Um, again, it couldn't move. I, I took, um, I, I'm telling my magic tricks now, but I, yeah. I took a couple of uh, boats without big outboard motors and we strapped them to the side of the, of the, the submarine and spun up the, the, uh, the, the engines to create wake moving fore and aft. And then, I, you know, I, I just set the uh, the camera on a on a big long run of uh, of track, and, and we moved the camera instead of the boat. So th- there are a lot of little tricks that we had to, you know, sort of figure out to uh, to, to create the uh, the illusion that it was moving. That's so cool. I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I that was one of the things I even wondered about. Like, well, did they CGI this? But I mean, it looks so real. It was like, wow. <laughs> so. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I mean, I was. I, I appreciate you um, uh, pulling back the curtain on that. Sure, sure. Listen, we've got about four minutes left. I want to be able to give you the last word, and then I'm gonna. Once we hang up, I'm gonna call you back just so that we can debrief and and again let the listeners know that that uh, you'll come back and we'll talk more. Sure, I, I'm sure I'd love to. We'll yeah, you know, know, I guess I would just sum up by saying that. Um, you know, it it it, it, it takes just as much uh, time and effort to make a small movie as, as it does a big one. Um, it, it, it you know these things take years to do, um, and they're I think that they're they're wholly worth doing for the sake of doing them. Um, you you can't always count on on the outcome, um, but you know every one of these things that you do moves you a little bit further down the road. And um, I encourage my fellow filmmakers, you know, now with the, this this technology that's so available to, you know, to go make your movie. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't make your movie because you can. And, uh, you know, the, the size and scope of it doesn't really matter, it, it, especially early on. You, you just need, to, you need to, to do it and learn and especially develop the material because at the end of the day, 
the skills don't matter if you don't have a good story and if you don't have compelling characters. And um, and it's just a great ride, you know. I I can't imagine doing anything else on my worst day. I can't imagine doing anything else. Well, it's it's truly very cool. Now, I think we should define this in in the sense that it's a small movie. I mean, it's like essentially one location. You know, I mean, you it's not you know you're all over Europe filming. You know, and your budget is whatever your budget is, but the, but the it doesn't feel like a small movie, even though it's intimate, or or you might talk about being claustrophobic inside a sub, that because inside the sub it is filled with such presence that you I, I never went oh this is a, a little movie, you get the I got a, you know a big a big movie feel watching the film because I am engaged in the story and I am watching riveting performances and while it's taking place in you know you're not always in the sub obviously you're outside the sub and you know you see different things um uh I I I think it has a big a big movie feel to it and well, it they, does you know, there's something that's really wonderful about um, well first of all you you know you it again it's form follows function you know in this case we knew that we had to make the most of this 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 one location because by controlling that location we, we could get a lot of movie for the money so uh-huh. so that that's the first thing the second thing is that you know you, you really need to think these things through i happen to love the genre of submarine movies um i i knew tony scott i, I i've worked for wolfgang peterson a few times and I, you know i'm just a fan of the genre anyway um, but in this case, you know, this was also a personal story in that it reflected my own sort of, you know, coming to terms with uh, fears as a child of nuclear holocaust, you know. And so it really what we didn't really get in any of this, but really what this was was an exploration of the men who would actually be tasked to do these terrible things um, and, and what it meant in terms of indoctrination and, uh, and, and, and objectification of the enemy in order to, create the psychological conditions for them to be able to do these things. Beyond that, the, the actual you know, submarine, this bottle show, if you will, um, is, is just a ter- terrific uh, canvas for that kind of theater. And it's also very interactive because um, a submarine asks the audience to imagine what's outside of it all the time. So the, the audience is really you know, participating in the story. Um, so for all of those reasons, this this felt like um, something that was worth doing for me on on personal levels and also on the level of craft. Very very cool. Well, it's very cool, and the movie uh, is in theaters, and people should go see it. And I've enjoyed this conversation so much with you, and look forward to uh, future conversations with you. And I know Penn is going to be on. I, I think we'll be lucky enough to get. Uh, some of the fine people from Solar Filmworks to uh, come on and and we'll continue the discussion of phantom and movie making in general. But I I do appreciate you taking the time and and thanks for being here today. I'll give you a call in a few moments. Thanks for having me, Rex. Oh, man, you've been great. It's really, it's been an education and I appreciate it so much. You've said so many wonderful things. And, and, uh, you know, what's cool is that we all learn. And and I want to thank you for sharing your experience. You bet. I'm learning, too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Todd. All right. Uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Uh, Okay, bye-bye.
Mr. Todd Robinson, a fascinating guest and a fascinating movie. So uh, I want to thank him, and I want to thank you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. Keep in mind, I've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future. We'll have Todd back. We'll have others as well, so be sure to stay tuned. And keep sharing this website and these interviews with your friends and your contacts. Peter Marshall will be coming up in in March, as well as others. Uh, But uh, go to raindance.org at the Toronto uh, branch of it and check into Peter's directing workshop there in Toronto coming up uh, March 9th and 10th. I don't know if it's full or not. I'm going to go up as a, as a guest and just hang out. Uh, Peter's doing the teaching. I get to to uh, see him do his magic, so I'm thrilled. You can become a member of Rex Ike's Movie Beat Facebook group. Uh, I should take that back. You, should, you can become a friend of Rex Ike's Movie Beat Friends page by just going there and liking the page, and I hope that you do. And uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Rex Sykes Movie BT on Twitter. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT on Twitter. You can follow uh, Solar Filmworks at Phantom the Film on Twitter. Phantom the Film on Twitter. Also go to phantomthefilm.com and uh, and to solarfilmworks.com and uh, and you can check that out. The Solar Filmworks also has a, a friends page on Facebook. You're going to want to check that out. As does uh, and, and Todd is on Facebook too, so uh, go ahead and check this out. And uh, please do keep sharing this website, Rex Sykes Movie Beat. Uh, the URL is rexsykes.com, and the archived interviews are all available there at the interviews blog, and people can listen live or archived. Uh, but tweet about it, uh, Facebook it, do it through your favorite social media that means Google Plus. And uh, and let everyone know. And do leave comments whenever you listen live or otherwise and rate and review the podcast. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.